I learned about wabi-sabi. It's got to be a good 20 years ago. And it struck me. I mean, it just, you know, something's just resonate. You know, you were meant to hear them because we, I've always struggled with this inner critic. And I think I've been very hard on myself, despite having a mother who did nothing but encourage me to go out and try things. And if they don't work or it changes, it's okay. I wasn't giving myself that much freedom. And then I learned about wabi-sabi and this concept of there really is no such thing as perfection. And that those things that are imperfect or simple or unfinished are beautiful in their own right. I'm able to catch something about them that maybe they didn't see themselves or it's just starting to be birthed. And that's where I just want to reach out and help and uh, see them come to life with their idea and then hopefully the execution of it. So that is what led me to where I am today with starting, an, I think of it as an initiative as opposed to a business, Wabi Sabi, the art of living life on your own terms. Welcome to the Improvement Nerds Podcast, where we host conversations about the things that nerd us out with one goal in mind, sharing best practices and sharing techniques and tools that allow us to make lasting change. In each episode, we'll feature a different idea and hopefully through that episode, give you a set of new tools, new skills, and new thinking that'll allow you to change how you do your work, how you lead others, and how you show up in your life. We're so excited that you've chosen to nerd out with us. We hope that these episodes are exactly the things that you need to hear in order to get started in making the improvements that you want to see happen in the world. If these episodes speak to you, please subscribe to our podcast, like what we're doing, and leave a comment. Well, that's what it always boils down to, though, isn't it? Just as we were speaking before, it's people. And you can't draw a hard line between who they are professionally, who they are personally, who they are spiritually. They're all intertwined. It's the fabric of our personalities and of who we are. On the other side of that is when you do put it out there and it takes courage to do so and you've made that step, you will find the synchronicities and the people and the opportunities flying into your life like you would never have expected. And that to me is confirmation that indeed you are on the right path and that we don't walk it alone. There is help there on a physical level and I'm going to tell you on a spiritual level. And it adds up and it leads you not on that straight trajectory as we had mentioned previously, but it is leading you forward to your destination, which is always going to keep changing as we keep growing, but it's taking you closer to where your heart is. This is a big part of my message today is being open to possibility. It's there, but we don't always see it. Margaret Mead said it best when she shared that one should never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, that it was the only thing that ever had. I couldn't agree more. Let's get busy, Improvement Nerds. We've got a lot of work to do. Hey, Improvement Nerds. This is Tom. I'm back with another episode of the Improvement Nerds podcast. Today, I've got a special guest for you all. I cannot wait to bring her on and introduce her to you all. Um, so before I do that, before I bring her on, I just kind of want to set the stage of what we're going to be talking about today. 
and um, a little bit of the background of how Mindy and I have met each other. So, you know, as you in your career and in your in your life, you're likely to to have blushes with people, um, and maybe things don't work out the first time around. Um, but you know, don't kind of count those chickens and say, "Hey, that." was nice to meet that person. And like, it's the past and we're never going to connect again. Cause that happened to Mindy and I, um, you know, we, I was, I'm working on a book and I needed help with editing and because, uh, grammar escapes me. Uh, I was raised really focusing in on math. So, um, when it comes to writing, I love it, but, uh, it looks like a six-year-old maybe, uh, did it instead of an adult. So there's a lot of errors. So, uh, Mindy and I got connected because she was going to help me review some of my work and uh, improve it. It didn't work out. Um, months passed, and then the two of us got reconnected and uh, on a, a topic called Wabi Sabi, uh, which we're going to talk about today. We're going to dive deep and we're going to have a lot of fun. So I can't wait to uh, introduce her to you and to kind of spotlight her story and nerd out with her today. So, Mindy. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I'm thrilled to be here with you and to meet your audience as well. Yeah, you'll, um, they're digital, like you may never meet them in person. You might, um, but the improvement nerds, I could tell you they're all amazing people. I have no doubt. Awesome. Before we jump in, I want to give you the chance to kind of share with us some channels by which the improvement nerds of the world can get connected with you. Well, you can find me on Facebook, both personally under Mindy Epstein, and you'll spell my name correctly, I know, in the notes. Uh, Wabi Sabi for women, and it's for with the number versus spelled out, is both on Facebook and www.wabisabi for, with using the number again, women.com is my website. And I'm active on LinkedIn as well under my own name. And I follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I feel most savvy uh, when it comes to some of the other channels. I'm I'm there, but um, not really plugged in. Like uh, there's so much I can learn on Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. And I know you're there, probably there too. But on LinkedIn, I love following you and I love your content. And it it always brightens my day to see some of your posts. So for the improvement nerds, definitely check her out on LinkedIn. She has wonderful content and everything is very thought provoking. And I just love the energy that you're trying to create through that platform. So thank you. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. And I want to share that your writing isn't as bad as you said it was. Oh, you're so sweet. Um, I'll send you the $5 later. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Awesome. So, so excited to have you. And I kind of teased the topic where we're going to talk about. And, you know, the key emphasis is going to be wabi-sabi. But I also know we're going to talk a lot about uh, women in leadership and a lot of things that you're doing in, in that community as well. I know that'll come up. So th- this is going to be an awesome episode. So I'm going to Before we dive into all those things, I want the audience to have a chance to get to know you. And then after we kind of go through your bio and your background, then we're going to get to the real juicy stuff. That sounds good. You want me to jump in? Yes. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mindy. 
Well, I'm going to start with this, Tom, and you're not going to be happy about it. I struggle with that word nerds because <laughs> I was totally a nerd in high school. And being too tall and studious and gawky and quiet and shy, you know, everybody else was very cool and outgoing, or at least it seemed like that on the surface. So I'm over it now. But initially, that word nerd, my my little feathers were ruffled. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you really, embrace it, right? I have learned to embrace it. I'd like to think I've moved past it. But I get nerdy, if you will, about seeing potential in people. And I think that is the beginning of my post-nerd journey. It's that I meet these amazing women, especially first through owning yoga studios and then through starting a women's networking group, Top Floor Women, um, and just seeing somebody light up when I'm able to catch something about them that maybe they didn't see themselves or it's just starting to be birthed. And that's where I just want to reach out and help and uh, see them come to life with their idea and then hopefully the execution of it. So that is what led me to where I am today with starting. An, I think of it as an initiative as opposed to a business. Wabi Sabi, the art of living life on your own terms. You know, we um, have the shoulds and we hear other voices and sometimes we find ourselves living a life that isn't our own, but we won't get into that just yet because I'm dying to tell you about one more thing I nerd out about. You ready? Lay it on me. Archaeology. Oh, man. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have my wife create a, a, a her own podcast series because that's she wanted to become an archaeologist when she Here. was her. I have to meet her. Yeah. I mean, this is my lifelong passion, and I got to do it. I oh, lovely! I um, just the study of culture and uh, humans and their history and the artifacts that they left behind and yeah. styles they have. There's so much that you know we have today that is a result of. Uh, their sacrifices, but also their innovations and their discoveries. And it's always fun to kind of try to connect the dots between the way we act and behave and our psychology and how so much of that was rooted in our ancestry. Um, and then also, you know, our culture and, uh, you know, material things that exist today. I am nerd out too about history, not as much as I imagine you do, or my wife, Carolyn does. And I, I imagine you guys have also, if you have children or grandchildren, you're probably corrupting them and making them history nerds as well. Cause our oldest son, he watches, um, oh gosh, it's on the history channel. It's got Josh Gates on it and it's something I'll, it'll, I'll have to put it in the show notes so that those people who love this stuff too. Like if they aren't already watching it, it's been one of the most fun things to see the bond that Carolyn and our oldest have created in watching this show together. Things about the Bermuda Triangle and, you know, the Roman empires, whatever it might be, the two of them, they can go on and on and on about it. You're talking my language. The archaeology that I got involved in, um, and I excavated for six years in Israel, um, was 
mostly biblical era and earlier. I actually liked it even earlier than the biblical era. And I think that what I found that was so appealing to me and that I keep feeling drawn to go back and do um, is picking up those small items like a bowl or a small vase and holding it in my hand. And I'm going to get a little weird on you, but you can feel the energy of it. And to know that women, no different than myself and my friends, once held and used this vessel. And they weren't any different than us. They wanted the best for their families. They wanted the best for themselves, maintain a home. It's just the march of ages from then until now. I love the connection that you spotlight right there is through these things that were left behind. It allows you the opportunity to, um, you know, assess who you are and the the things that you put importance on and realize that a human is a human is a human. I think it was Brene Brown that says that when she goes to speak publicly, yeah, she's nervous, but people are just people, right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter how far in the past they were around, their goals were the same as ours today, which is to, um, you know, leave the better a world, leave the world a little bit better place than we found it. Absolutely. To survive and to flourish is how I think of it. Have you been to, you know, we'll probably never get to making the episode we planned because we're going to just start talking about archaeology and all these beautiful places. So my, I'm assuming your journey to Israel was like life fulfillment. And my wife always had the dream of going to Mesa Verde in Colorado. And mm-hmm. we, um, we didn't, while we were out in the Southwest, not only did she go visit that, that, that site once, she went twice. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's not enough, I'm sure. No, we'll be going back. Yeah, because there, there was a hat there that she wanted to buy and uh, she thinks about it every day. So now it's uh, on the agenda to get back out there because th- these beautiful places, um, you know, one day, two day is not enough to really immerse yourself in everything there is to experience there. So how, how long were you? You said you were doing it for six years? Yes. I went over uh, for a six-week excavation through the University of California at Berkeley. What happens with these large sites, I mean, they're literally a full city, miles in size. Uh, Universities from all over the world come and dig for the summer in different parts of the city. And then they put the pieces of the puzzle together. So I went with um, Berkeley. And it was a six-week excavation. I paid $2,000 for the privilege of doing all of their work for them. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was older. I was in my 30s, and everybody else was a college kid. So when we finished digging, they were drinking and partying, and really I had no interest in that. So I sat with archaeologists and learned about how they put the pieces of this gigantic puzzle together, a puzzle that spanned miles and millennia. and the professor who runs the dig from Hebrew University asked me if I could type a document for him that would be sent to the States for publication. And he didn't know that I'm a professional writer and editor, and there was no way in good conscience I could send that article to the States after I typed it. So I rewrote it. 
And uh, when the dig ended, six weeks ended, he and his two lead archaeologists asked me if I would join their team. So the rest is history. Yeah, the you know, six weeks turned into six years. And I think a lot of that is just kind of putting yourself in the position to do what yeah. you and then once in that position, walking through the doors that open. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a big part of my message today is being open to possibility. It's there, but we don't always see it. Now, I don't expect your listeners to pack up their lives and move someplace to work on a dig or fulfill their dream. That's big. And I understand that it's unusual, but we all have possibilities that are showing up and it's really remaining open to them and recognizing that you can do it. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be a step towards something, but to recognize that it's there and it's on your path for a reason. I've always kind of tried to rephrase how people say we you're climbing the ladder. Mm -hmm. It's more of a lattice. Like it's, you're going up and down and sideways forward and backwards. And in some cases, those movements may not all make sense. Um, but it's all one canvas. Like it, everything is connected. And at some point you'll be able to s- step back from it all and see how all those experiences were all meant to happen. That is an exercise I like to lead people through because you are so right. With hindsight, if you look over your shoulder, you see how, oh, this led to that. And oh my God, I could never have had that happen if I hadn't done this. And the situation for me is when things in Israel weren't working out because of the political climate. I mean, I had intended to move there. I was working on a PhD. Um, I moved back to Chicago, which led me to Indianapolis, which led me to a job and then yoga. And, you know, one thing led to the next. And here I am talking to you and your audience. But it was no way a straight path. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm sure you are, too. Yes. where you were always meant to be. It feels right. Um, Something that I'd like to address is this thing about having that dream. Like you said, your wife has it. And I'm sure most of the people listening have it too, though they may not be able to define it. I feel lucky that I could tell you archaeology was my passion. But some people don't have it defined like that, but they know there's something. And I call that an it capital I, capital P. And we don't have just one in life. You know, we fulfill and then, and we grow and we change and we may develop another it. But when I came back from those excavations and found myself with one foot in one shore and the other foot on another shore, I didn't have my it anymore. And there was really a painful sense of loss. So it's keeping your eye open for really what might present itself. And then for me, the it became helping women see their own beauty and potential. I love that you're sharing the realization you've had for yourself with others to help them, you know, have the courage to take risks, to uh, convey their dreams. I think a lot of individuals who may know the it uh, or don't know it. So if you don't know it, there's you know work you can go and a journey you can embark on to better understand it. If you know it and you're afraid to say it, you know, 
uh, I get that too. You know, there's a hesitancy that once you communicate it to someone else, now there's accountability that exists What and maybe didn't exist had you just kept it to yourself. So putting things out in the universe is scary because now you're putting it out and in some ways um, opening up feedback to it. And some people could say, hey, that's a crazy idea versus, wow, what a great idea. What are you doing to get there? And all those things can be terrifying, but also can be um, life-giving. Yes. You use the word feedback. The word that comes to my mind and what I've experienced in working with other people is that the word is really judgment. <laughs> right? You put it out there like I did when I was 15 and told my parents I wanted to be an archaeologist. And they told me, ladies, don't dig in the dirt. So that's been denied. Um, it was also when I wanted to open a yoga studio and people were like, well, how are you going to make money doing that? And where are you going to get the money to start it? You know, and, and you feel sort of naked and exposed. And if you didn't have self-doubt before, you could really end up with a good, healthy dose of it once you put it out. It definitely takes some bravery and some courage to put yourself out. And um, I think in some ways that that draws attention. Um, and there is, when you're vulnerable, there are people who are going to sling mud. And really, it's their own fear that they're projecting onto you in some cases, or maybe jealousy that might have existed. The goals that they wanted for themselves that they never pursued. And because of that, um, what they gave up, you know, they're, whether they know it or not, they, they're passing judgment that may prevent someone from going after their own dreams. So I think the, the fear is real because there are people who um, are going to become a barrier to you and, and you making progress in your dreams. But then there's probably, and that's probably a very small percent of the people you're likely to encounter once you put yourself out there. What's more likely to happen is dream, you're going to start to meet dreamers who are doing it too. And you're going to become part of that community and your capability to grow and get uncomfortable and to experience things is going to become greater than you ever imagined. Have you experienced it that way too? I have. And a, a few thoughts have come to mind. Usually those people who are your naysayers really love you a lot and have your best interests in mind. And yes, just like you said, they, their own fear, fears are being projected on you. And those are people you can't just cut out of your life, but you do have to set boundaries and you have to understand what their perspective is and how their words may not be what you need to hear. On the other side of that is when you do put it out there and it takes courage to do so and you've made that step, you will find the synchronicities and the people and the opportunities flying into your life like you would never have expected. And that to me is confirmation that indeed you are on the right path and that we don't walk it alone. There is help there on a physical level, and I'm going to tell you on a spiritual level. And it adds up and it leads you not on that straight trajectory, as we had mentioned previously, but it is leading you forward to 
your destination, which is always going to keep changing as we keep growing, but it's taking you closer to where your heart is. Yes. Thank you for highlighting that those individuals as you air your dreams and they may be perceived as skeptic skeptics of it what they're really trying to do is keep you safe out of love and you know so don't be angry at them really try to put yourself in their situation and realize that they're they are they think what they're doing is in your best interest so thank you for uh, bringing us back to that and then also the 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 good and the momentum and the energy that's going to be created once you put out put it out there is uh, I can totally agree with it and I I think we had this episode um you know two years ago I'd have no idea what you were talking about but now, <laughs> now that I'm out on my own and so many things are happening for me and my family and in the community I'm creating I'm a believer yes So you said an important word, and that's the word community. So we may have those one or two people who are not giving us the feedback that we really had hoped would come from them. But what we do is surround ourselves with other people who lift us up. And those may be people you know well, and they may be people you know less well. And you insert yourself in communities of people like this so that you can grow and learn from one another. But just as important is that you're giving to them as well, because you're collecting experience along the way. And somebody who maybe isn't quite as far along as you are can benefit from what you've learned, the pitfalls that you've encountered, and the wisdom you've acquired. And it all compounds and builds, and you're pouring into it, and you're getting back. And in some ways, you'll never know the gifts that you've given someone else, but do know that your presence being fully invested in where you're at. I I had a leader who would always say, be where your feet are. And when Mm -hmm. you're showing up in those communities, um, just that presence is going to create value that you'll never be able to measure. It's going to cause an impact or create an inspiring moment for someone else. Uh, who's going to go and do something they didn't think they were capable of because you're out there doing things you didn't think you were capable of in some ways you're communicating to others that they can too. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you a story. First of all, I was always very shy in the thought of speaking publicly, even standing in front of a group was beyond comprehension and learning to teach yoga was, was my stepping stone on the path. And I remember teaching a class early on, and there was a girl who always stood in the far right-hand corner, never smiled, never made eye contact. In fact, she always made me nervous and uncomfortable. And one day she came up to me and said, you have no idea how much you've helped me. And I thought, my God, I really didn't have any idea. (laughs) So we just don't know who we're touching. And uh, counter blessings that when you have made an impact that you're able to see it because oftentimes it goes off in its own direction and it creates things that you may never know existed. But in some cases, you're fortunate enough to see that circle um, be completed. And I I think um, for me and my career as a team facilitator, 
uh, helping people solve problems. You know, I was using Lean Six Sigma and I thought my job was to make projects successful, but what I realized I was doing was making people successful. And in that, as people, you know, started to gain momentum again and overcome the barriers that were preventing them from loving the job they were doing, if we could remove all those things, that person would grow immensely, uh, not just in, you know, a rewarding career, but in renewed energy for the work they were doing and also renewed energy outside of the workplace. You know, who we are at work and who we are at home, those things really bleed into each other quite a bit. And if you're getting your butt whooped at work and the processes are broken and you don't feel like you're successful, you're probably going to go home and that same negative energy is going to be present there. So when I was facilitating helping people get a win, uh, that win would go from that project into that person's job and oftentimes from that person's job into that person's life. And uh, I got feedback from another senior leader that was at a, an event. Um, it was around the holidays. This was well before COVID-19. So you can gather and we, there was safety there. Um, a significant other of the person who was on the project team came up to the leader and said, I want to thank you for the opportunities you've afforded my spouse. You know, they're fulfilled again and they're happy again. And the energy at home and the energy in our relationship is better now than it was before. And I can't thank you enough for giving that person purpose again. And the, I was just so fortunate that I was able to see that circle come complete. And it helped me realize the potential that existed in working with people and encouraging them to um, strive to be them best selves. Well, that's what it always boils down to, though, isn't it? Just as we were speaking before, it's people. And you can't draw a hard line between who they are professionally, who they are personally, who they are spiritually. They're all intertwined. It's the fabric of our personalities and of who we are. And that gentleman, the husband, sounds like a very astute, empathic kind of a person. Yeah. And I realized that I was really young and had yet to start a family. There was just my wife and I, the boys weren't in the picture yet. So we were, you know, in our careers, we were working hard and learning as much as we could. And we were trying to establish uh, ourselves as a, a leader. Um, so we were very selfish. And I looked at my work in a very selfish way. I measured my success in a very selfish way that the, the, the success of the projects or the value it created in the form of return on investment, the dollars realized. And after that interaction, I started to think about my work differently and understood the significance of it, the impact it would have on people that person's family and the customer that person served. And I, at a young age, I got to see the bigger picture and I think it prepared me to act and behave different as a leader within the workplace, but a different husband and a different father. And I'm just so thankful that that circle completed for me to open up my eyes to the, the, the world I was being welcomed into. You're so fortunate to have had that at a young age. Um, the ROI in your case, wasn't necessarily financial. It was seeing people blossom and recognize their own potential. 
And ultimately, that helps the organization, the customers, the team. It, it all rises together. But the ROI can look very different than just numbers at the bottom of a page. It does. And I'm sure in the, the journey you've walked on and the people that you've been able to collaborate with and mentor or teach or encourage, I'm sure you've seen that people gain confidence and drive to um, become better in whatever aspects they're trying to improve in. Well, the truth is part of my journey is that I do come from a corporate background and started as a graphic designer and a writer and rose up the organization to a senior vice president. And yes, it was fun to climb the ladder, kind of. Um, but my greatest joy in looking back over my stepping stones, my greatest joy was in having a staff and encouraging them to express themselves creatively because I was running the marketing department. But to watch them grow up, if you will, for a lot of them, it was a first or second job after schooling and to watch them really come into their own. And I felt like they were birds in a nest. And, you know, after a few years, it was time to fly and take a job with a title for themselves as well. That is, thank you for, for sharing that and your journey. It's just so awesome to, to hear the stories that you have been a part of. And, you know, so far we've talked about being open-minded and open to experiences and letting the path unfold as you walk it, have an end in mind and, you know, pursue your dreams, but know that likely the, the avenue to get there isn't a straight line, but more like a winding path. So we've hit up on that. You just talked about the role of a servant leader is to pour into others capabilities and inspiration so that they they become the better version of themselves and um that i love that and thank you for that that well thank you for acknowledging it but it is a lesson that i had to learn as well um i'd love to think i was always that person i had to grow into that person and then taking that further along you know you start to gain wisdom the older you get um, was recognizing that our flaws in ourself and our flaws in other people are actually where greatness resides. And that's a hard lesson to learn because that critical inner voice is so loud and it dominates so much of our thoughts. But it, uh, if we understand it in ourselves, we can understand it in others and give permission to them and to ourselves, actually, to really embrace it and recognize that it's part of our uniqueness. And it's basically rocket fuel, right? <laughs> it is once we get over those voices in our head. <laughs> yeah, and, and that is in large part where you are now, working in the communities you've built and the the groups that you've convened to uh, appreciate the journey they're on and also love the person they are. Absolutely. When I started Top Floor Women, the uh, women's networking group, uh, two and a half years ago down in the Franklin area, and now we meet virtually every month, um, it was to bring women together 
if for networking and friendship and collaboration and connection, because we all have different talents and different weaknesses. And I just loved standing back and watching women connect. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm looking for somebody to do that. And then watching these opportunities unfold. And that was just a natural progression for me to take that one step further with the formation of Wabi Sabi, because I recognized in these women and in hearing them speak, as well as my own students in the yoga studios, is that we're not perfect. And that expectation of perfection is frequently what holds us back. And this whole concept of wabi-sabi, as you yourself embrace, which is how we connected officially, this whole concept of finding beauty in what most of us would think of as flaws, but recognizing that the perfection lies in the imperfection. It's so freeing, absolutely liberating to allow ourselves to become who we really were put on this earth to be. It definitely gets the goose. And um, I'll admit I was asleep to it. And I think a lot of individuals in their life's journey, whatever phase they might be in, there's blinders that in somewhat, um, someone are there based on your upbringing or your education. So, you know, I was very fortunate in my upbringing that um, my parents found another love and I was raised by two mothers. So I had a, a very large family. There's five of us brothers and sisters. And then my dad remarried and my mom remarried. So, you know, I had a lot of people who contributed to my upbringing. It was like a, a village in itself. And it was needed because I was uh, a project and a half as a little kid. Um, you know, but in that, you know, there was a strong feminine uh, presence in how I was raised. You know, both of my mothers worked uh, in the household. Um, they were the leader, um, you know, and both of my stepdad and my father, the way that they parented us was through compassion and less of carrot and stick. So you know, in my upbringing, you know, I always kind of thought that the feminine uh, presence was better than the masculine because the compassion, the caring, the loving, that's how I wanted to live my life was, it just seemed, uh, yeah, providing and, um, you know, earning and stuff, gaining status, those things in some ways they're necessary to um, provide for a family, but like, it's not the only thing. So I knew it was there, but it wasn't what we talked about during the dinner table. We didn't talk about my dad's work or the success he had, we talked more about our neighbors and what we can do to volunteer and how we can lift each other up. So in that upbringing, you know, I was very fortunate. But then when I went to school, you know, the other kids I went to school with, that wasn't their upbringing and emotions um, in the area I grew up in, Northwest Indiana, really meant weakness. Um, it, we, it was steel mill country in a large part. So with all the, kind of the power was to analytics and your ability to think logically and less think creatively or empathetically. So although my upbringing endorsed those things, when I entered school, those things fell into the background and I studied more on numbers and analytics and strengthened those things. And my emotional strengths kind of went dormant. And then I went and I got a master's degree in finance and empathy 
does not play much of a part in the world of finance. So yet again, you know, the institutions kind of groomed me to be a certain way. And then I, you know, joined work. It's just all these things kind of left thumbprints on me. And, you know, those impressions, those records you've created, they're there. You just have to tap into them and really embrace them. And for the longest time, I thought um, loving nature was silly or finding God in nature or feeling more connected in a spiritual way in nature was silly. And I would never talk about it. But now I realize that makes me special. And being emotional and having empathy and being able to practice those things, those things actually make me special. And it took me the longest time to realize that. So whoever, wherever you are in your journey, whatever upbringing you've had, whatever training you've had, realize that you are unique because of those experiences and just embrace it. It sounds to me like you had a wonderful upbringing and an unusual one. And it's nice to hear that you've come full circle and can embrace it. So many of us have that part of ourselves where you mentioned that it went dormant for a while, but there's shame around that part of yourself. And it's what makes you human. And it's it's the part of ourself to be celebrated rather than pushed under our thumb. And I love that you said thumb because Wabi Sabi talks about the thumbprint or the fingerprint that's left behind on a handmade vase or bowl or vase that that really makes it special because it wasn't machine made, mass produced and, and perfect in its execution. It was made with love and by hand and by a human. And there's just a little mark there reminding us of that. That's, you know, I just drew parallels between us as humans and the, the vase, which is the iconic symbol that you've used to talk about Wabi Sabi is we as humans weren't not mass produced or manufactured either. We're created the same way uh, through a craft, someone, um, you know, other than our conception that is um, just divinity that's amazing how all that comes together but once you're here you're uh, created in a, a way and not everything along your way to become who you are is perfect um, you know my parents they'll be the first to tell you that, that they thought they were failing as parents and they struggled and things were stressful uh, but I never knew it you know it was just what it was so I think us as humans, if we learn to see ourselves as something that's a craft, we're craft production. We're not mass produced. We're not manufactured. Each one of us is unique. And we're here as a result of all these different inputs along our lives. So what that requires is giving ourselves permission, a permission to find that person that we were meant to be, permission to express it, and permission to live life to our fullest, whatever that is for us. For some people, it may be starting a seven-figure organization. And for others, it may be opening that pie shop that they've always dreamt of owning. And for somebody else, it may be homeschooling, all of which is valid, all of which is a contribution in its own way to our communities and to our world, ultimately. Well said. Yeah, we all have purpose, and the if we can lean into that, you're going to 
experience life in such a robust way that in some ways you're going to feel slightly guilty having not leaned into your passion or your purpose earlier. Cause I'll tell you where I stand today. I never imagined I would host a podcast because I'm shy. I'm introverted and I don't like public speaking, but here I am. And to be honest, the first one was terrifying and totally uncomfortable, but now I've grown through it and I have so much fun um, that, you know, it's just been a discovery of a potential I had that I never knew. So for all those examples you gave, as people lean into those things, they're going to realize, wow, I'm really capable of doing this. And oftentimes what happens is they'll say, why didn't I do this sooner? And that's so true. (laughs) I just gave a, a keynote address at an organization earlier this week. And normally that would have made my blood run cold. But instead, what happened was I um, found myself actually enjoying and wanting to go and do it again and again because it was so much fun. So we've talked a a lot about the concept of Wabi Sabi and how it gives us permission to be our authentic selves and to embrace our own imperfections. I want to kind of talk a little bit and more in depth about Wabi Sabi. So, you know, when you and I reconnected, I had read an article about our language and our language as expansive as it is, it has some gaps in it. And there's some words we don't have to explain experiences that are worth experiencing. And on that list of things was Wabi Sabi. It was it's a Japanese term in origin. And when I read that article and all the other words in it as well, um, I sent it to you and I'm like, this is it. Like, and you and I just talked about Wabi Sabi like two days prior. And then the article uh, so happenedly. Synchronicity. Yeah, it, I totally, there's so many things that happen in my life where it's beyond circumstantial. Like, oh, this is not, it can't be coincidence. So we had the conversation and then I read this article and we'll share it with the improvement nerd audience. Um, it, it was, there's so many things um, that are worth experiencing that were discussed in this article. And one of those was Wabi Sabi. So I want to kind of nerd out and go a little bit further on what is it, what's its origins and what are some nerdy details of it? <laughs> First of all, that article was outstanding and I was just thrilled to receive it. And I recognized it as a gift from the universe as well. Yet that should just land, you know, in my chat box on LinkedIn was awesome. So um, I appreciate receiving that. I learned about Wabi Sabi. It's got to be a good 20 years ago. And it struck me. I mean, it just, you know, some things just resonate. You know, you were meant to hear them. Because we, I've always struggled with this inner critic. And I think I've been very hard on myself, despite having a mother who did nothing but encourage me to go out and try things. And if they don't work or it changes, it's okay. I wasn't giving myself that much freedom. And then I learned about Wabi Sabi and this concept of there really is no such thing as perfection. And that those things that are imperfect or simple or unfinished are beautiful in their own right. And and there's value there as well. And I knew I wanted to do something with it, but I just, 
I sat with it for 20 years. And now fast forward to this time where I want to reach women and, and help them fulfill their dreams and find their purpose. And I'm struggling to come up with a name for it. And, you know, you start looking at the world around you and it could be achieving women meet here, women here meet over, you know, and you start playing with language and coming up with things and nothing felt right. I had pages of potential names. And then one day in meditation, it hit me, Wabi Sabi. It was there all along. And I love that whole concept of helping women recognize that they're perfect just where they are. And we start now. There is no better time than right now. You'll never have it all together. And actually having it all together is kind of boring. You know, the joy is in discovery and in trying. And yes, making a mistake is hurt, hurts and it's shameful. And well, we move past that. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about shame and um, there really isn't time for that. We've got our lives in front of us and it's time to move past it. So Wabi Sabi embraces all of that. It's recognizing inner greatness in yourself and in others. And I think in hearing what you'd kind of said there was that waiting till you have it all figured out thing, like that's the waiting for perfection to come together and then acting uh, once it's there. And if you're waiting for perfection, one, you're, you're never going to get started because it's never going to come to reality. And the thing I love that you'd said that there's actually um, more learning that's going to happen in failing than there was in succeeding. Like our greatest life successes come in our ability to overcome adversity and learn by failing. I think it's is a Chinese proverb that says, uh, fall seven times, rise eight, or something. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, and I would say, you know, I was guilty, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, who are listening in the Improvement Nerd audience that they are waiting to for all the stars to align. And I, I'll, I think I've probably said this in other episodes. You know, I had tinkered with the idea of starting my own business, and I knew it was something I wanted to do, but I wasn't serious enough about it to have set a timeline in place or really been active in making it become a reality. And even though I was dragging my heels, the universe had a different plan. So opportunity came my way. And, um, you know, I wasn't initially in a spot where I wanted to say yes. I was really comfortable in my career. Um, I knew what I was doing. I had a great team around me that I loved and I enjoyed working with. And then this out of nowhere came an opportunity to go to the four corners area of our country. I had been out there when I was like maybe nine years old and saw the Grand Canyon. And that was the most exposure I'd had uh, to the Southwest. So foreign area, didn't know much about it. A work that I was somewhat comfortable doing, but very high stakes. It was going to be performing an organizational turnaround um, in an area that had been really hard hit. So the economy was suppressed and the healthcare sector in that area was really uh, fighting an uphill battle. So it was going to be hard work in an area I didn't know and, and away from my family. And I was curious, but I wasn't committed. And, you know, I just aired it to a couple people who I trusted. And this is where the surprise came. Um, you know, everyone I talked to is like, well, what are you waiting for? Like, 
their excitement gave me a little bit more confidence, but the one that threw it over the fence and really caused me to push the chips in was the person I least expected who was most likely to be impacted by my decision, which was my wife. Because if I was traveling, she'd be at home with our three boys who are lovely, but also monsters at the same time uh, and have to, you know, uh, do extra work there. And, um, you know, we had bills, we had shared response, financial responsibilities in our home and other commitments that we'd made that there was uncertainty when I left a, the career I had into this uncharted territory of whether or not my income would be stable. So I was expecting her to be resistant. And when I talked to her about it, the thing she said is, if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? And that's, that was a surprise to me. And I just got so much energy in that conversation that I knew I had to do it. That's a turning point for sure. Oh, it, and I, you know, I think I, I say it because a lot of people will look at me and what I'm doing and saying like, oh, he's brave. Well, if you really want to know who the brave person is, it was my wife, not me. <laughs> That's great. I mean, the truth is that, again, there isn't a right time and you were open to the possibility and you had the support around you. And it's funny, we can't guess where it's going to come from because that's us projecting on somebody else. You know, here your wife had every reason to fear you're going out on your own. And I have a similar situation with my life partner who, you know, I said to him, yeah, I really do want to open this yoga studio. And now there's an opportunity to buy another one, which is just giving me barely enough to, to live on. So I'm going to leave my my job with the title and six weeks of vacation and a 401k that was being matched and health insurance, not to be underestimated in today's environment. I'm going to give all that up and give this a go. And like you, I was, I got the permission to do it and there's been no looking back ever since. It's completely liberating. You know, a year after now, there's more uncertainty there was when I made the decision originally. Uh, but I'm happier. I, I, I'm having a lot more fun not knowing what's coming next. Uh, I can relate to that. And you know what, Tom, it's the ROI again. Is it all about the bottom line dollar or is it all about the bottom line feeling, quality of life, contribution that you're making to the world? There's so many different ways to look at what the return on investment is. I mean, I ultimately made a lifestyle choice as well. And I just maintain the faith and the vision that the other things are going to pan out too. The resolve you have is very inspiring. And I just want to repeat what you just said is how we measure success, this ROI concept, we need to diversify our ruler to measure quality of life, lifestyle, experiences, contributions. And that reminds me of probably one of the most impactful quotes I'd had in my career was from a friend, Eric Eicher, call him Ike. Um, he was featured in one of my early episodes and, you know, he had started his own business and I was, you know, he was one of the people encouraging me to do it too. And what he'd said to me is you'll learn to, in your life, um, measure the, your work through the significance over the success that you've created. And I learned to prioritize significance over success through his mentorship. And I just encourage everyone, 
where you are right now, however you're measuring your outcomes, try to think of a, some other ways to measure those things and try to bring in some of those significant elements of the lives you've touched, the life you're providing, the encouragement you're giving, all those things. They really, to me, um, those measures are, I can't believe I was so short-sighted in measuring my success by my income and my title at one point, but it was life phases. You know, that's what most people do early in their career. Yeah, you can't dismiss it or discount it. But ultimately, you know, what we're going to be remembered for is not how much money you brought in or what title you lived in this world, but what your contribution was. And there's that, there was a book that was written by a nurse, a hospice nurse. And she said that the number one, I wish I remembered it. She said the number one uh, wish of the dying was that they woulda, shoulda, coulda. They should have done whatever it was that was in their heart before it was too late. And that's a tragedy that that is the number one thing that those who are dying are saying is that they're having this regret that they didn't live their life to the fullest. And that's a wake-up call. A wake-up call for all of us to pursue what we were put on this earth to do. And again, it doesn't have to be big. We don't have to pass judgment on it. It's what we feel in our heart. So encouraging. The, this episode has been so much fun to create with you in, in the conversations we've had in prep and the conversation we've had today and the conversations I know we're going to have hereafter is you're just um, a bright spot. You, the way you live your life and encourage people to live theirs too, to lift each other up and to pour into others, it's, um, it's refreshing. So thank you for coming onto the episode and being that person and encouraging others to dig deep within themselves to realize that they could be that for someone else. And thank you, Tom, for providing the opportunity and for doing your part in serving our community. Thank you. 